0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we uh, kids will be going back to school real soon, right? It's, a, it's pretty amazing how quickly the summer can go by. Um, and they'll be going back to school and we are going to go back to school on the Gospel of Mark. I just think it's good for us to get into the gospel. I would encourage you, it's not a lot of reading. One chapter a week, I think you could handle that, right? One chapter a week. And um, we'll be preaching through. So if you read like chapter two, our sermons, we're not going to cover the whole chapter. You don't want us to. But um, just because it would take a long time. But whatever, you know, the Lord moves us uh, that jumps out of the chapter we'll be speaking on. But you could break it up. You could read it every day, once a day, and see what the Lord does in your heart and in your mind. So we're going back to school on the Gospel of Mark, which is a short gospel, and it's written by a guy named John Mark, who was a disciple of Paul, I'm sorry, of Peter. He also hung out with Paul, but he was a disciple of Peter, and he wrote down what Peter said, and he loved the word immediately. You'll, I'm reading stuff, and you'll be like, wow, Immediately. Just continues to jump out. And I think Peter was an action guy. Mark actually has less words of Jesus than others, but a lot of action, because he probably had my kind of memory. Well, then we did this, and then we... What did he say? And then we did this, and then we... did Right? So um, I think you'll enjoy going through this with us. It begins like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet... Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare a way, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the county of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair, wore a leather belt and around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Have you ever heard of the Elijah diet? These people go back and they like look at what Elijah ate. Could I say that, is it, is it the Elijah diet? Is it one of, any Daniel. Daniel, the Daniel diet, that's it. Where's the John the Baptist diet? Do You know what I mean? Like, come on. I'm on the John the Baptist diet, right? Every eight years, my food comes out. And so, um, so he eats, eats locusts while honey, and he's preaching, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here, John comes on the scene, and it says he's preparing the way for Jesus. Now, on one hand, John the Baptist is is kind of a type of Elijah, right? And Elijah was to come before the Messiah would come. John the Baptist is a type of Elijah. But do you ever ask, how does he prepare the way for Jesus? How does his baptism of forgiveness of sins and repentance prepare the way for Jesus? Have you ever tried to be perfect? You're like, I gave that up for Lent, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, the Bible says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? I mean, where's our goal? Now, have you ever tried and failed? What do you know about yourself when you've tried and failed? You need a Savior. I like what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, we cannot in that sense discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying our very hardest and failing. We cannot, in that sense, discover our failure to keep God's law except by trying our very hardest and failing. Unless we really try, whatever we say, we will always be at the back of our mind the idea that if we tried harder the next time, we will succeed in being completely good. Thus, In one sense, the road back to God is a road of moral effort, of trying harder and harder. But in another sense, it's not trying that is ever going to bring us home. In all this trying, it leads us to the vital moment at which you turn and say to God, you must do this, I can't. Isn't that a beautiful place to be? When you finally say, uncle, I can't be as good as I want to be. You do it, right? And this is where the gospel sets in, but it's the way I think that John the Baptist prepared a way for Christ. Now, you know, people can really get confused about Jesus's message. I uh, listened with Gretchen in the car coming back from Florida, a sermon where the guy brought up this passage, this story of this wealthy man coming to Jesus and asking him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then, less than a week later, I'm listening to WCRF, and they got this, like, question and answer thing with a, a Bible smart guy, and, you know, they bring this same passage up. Like, why didn't Jesus say believe, like Paul does, when to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You guys have read this before. Did it ever make you scratch your head? So, a rich man comes up to Jesus uh, and says, teacher... Uh, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And, and he said to him, Why do you call me good? I guess I left that part out. There's only one good uh, if you would keep, that you would, ke- I'm sorry, if you would keep and enter life. What? There's only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. So Jesus says, Here's the commandments. And so this guy says, Well, tell me which commandments should I keep, Jesus? And he says, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Notice, no, do not covet. Isn't it interesting? Lift that one out for the rich guy. The young man said, all these I have kept, but what, what do I still lack? Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, And you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So, is that the way of salvation? Because you got any money in your pocket? You better get rid of it, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, Like, is that the way of salvation? You see, there's two ways to be saved, right? One is to be perfect. Perfect. And the other is by grace through faith. Jesus' perfection credited to our account, right? And and Jesus is looking at this guy who is trying to save himself, right? That's what he's doing. Jesus, please tell me what a good man I am and how I will earn heaven because of my righteousness. Affirm me in my good works. And Jesus is like, oh, this dude is a sinner, right? Right? And what does he do? He raises the high jump bar so high the guy can't jump over it. If he fell on his face and said, "Lord, that's so hard. I don't know that I could do it," but with you, all things are possible. Please help me. I think the Lord had a mercy on him and goes, "I'll help you." But this is this is the message of John the Baptist: raise the high bar, make way for the Savior, right? And he preached that one coming after him is mighty whose sandals he wouldn't he wouldn't even be able to tie he says i baptize you with water but what's jesus going to baptize us with it's the holy spirit see we the christian life is walking by the spirit it's not we delight in the law of god we think the law is beautiful but we can't keep it perfectly but 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 we walk by the spirit of god And this is why C.S. Lewis doesn't stop there. He continues, and he goes, Thus, if you've really handed yourself over to Jesus, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get heaven as a reward for your actions, But inevitably, wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint glimpse of heaven, the Holy Spirit, is already inside of you. John the Baptist is preparing a way, but one who is coming after is greater, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So the scripture goes on and says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water immediately, see that word again? He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, God is, like, affirming him. But you know what I think uh, Mark and Peter are echoing back to? This gospel begins the beginning, and then you see Jesus baptized in water, and you see the Trinity there, right? In the beginning of Scripture, you have the voice of God, you have the Spirit hovering. You know, I've never really liked the Holy Spirit pictured like a dove. I'm sorry, ladies. I don't know. It just just, I, it just has never really done anything for me, and, and I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, watch, watch me just like, I die right this moment, but you know, what I learned from the word hovering there, the Hebrew word could be translated fluttering, the Spirit in the beginning fluttered, fluttered, and th- this is where this came from, you have the Spirit fluttering, and we want that spirit to flutter in our hearts and over us and around us. And this, this fluttering spirit here is affirming Jesus because it's like, the, it's like a new creation. It's like a recreation. Because you remember what happened in the beginning? You have this creation and then Adam and Eve and then Adam and Eve were in the garden and there was a test in the garden. You know who they met? Yeah. And what happens right after Jesus' baptism? He goes into the wilderness, not the garden, but he is also tested there by Satan. It's like this picture of Adam and Eve, a picture of the recreation, and then right into the test. And of course, he passed the test in the garden, and he also passed the test in the second garden where he said, Father, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not what I will, but what your will be done. But you know what stuck out to me in this section it's this voice. See, I think the same voice that spoke to Jesus is the same voice that speaks to us. You are my son. Ladies, sons have a position. So men, you're the bride of Christ. Ladies, you're the son of God, sons of God. Just accept it, right? And, and, and we have been baptized. We've been washed. We've been, we, the same voice that speaks over Jesus speaks over our lives. I'm beloved. I'm a child of God. But notice where the voice comes from. Luther said, the word comes from outside of us. Can I say this is countercultural in our world? Do you know what I mean by that? Like our world is full of what's called expressive individualism, right? Just you be you. You do you. I do me right? Expressive individualism. Climb every mountain, forge every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. And expressive individualism is to find your deep down authentic identity within you. Now, if anybody could have found that, it was Jesus. But Jesus has this affirming voice from the Father because that's what defines us also. Let me give you a definition of expressive individualism. It, it, it's a label used to describe an ideology that's arisen during the past several hundred years. It's an ideology that has gathered steam and now dominates Western culture. Expressive individualism is the view that the whole point of a person's existence is to be authentic uh, For individuals to be authentic, they must align their lives with their deepest desires. And for society to be authentic, they must applaud the individual for aligning their life with their deepest desires. Do you see that? Now, what's wrong with this? Well, first, as believers... We're defined by what God says about us. We need the voice from the outside, right? But other than that, our deepest desires are fickle, right? Do you ever get what you want and then you, right? I've used this before, but it's so true. Morning Doug likes to exercise and eat right, but evening Doug (laughs) likes wine and ice cream. (laughs) So who am I? right? If I align myself with my deepest desires, I'm I'm changing, and this is what happens, right? But but when you allow the voice of God to be what defines you, that's where you find your identity. I don't care what my deepest desires are. I'm a blood-bought child of the Father. And and whether these desires are evil or wrong or whatever, they're going to lead me away from God, the fleshly desires, at least. But the, the Holy Spirit will work newness and and love and grace inside of us. And that's why I think in Romans, the Apostle Paul says, hey, I urge you in view of God's mercy to give your whole body as a sacrifice to God, pleasing. It's your spiritual act of worship. Like everything you do is a, is a song sung to God. And then he says, don't be conformed to the... Pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Christianity is a thinking religion, right? You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So we're always taking this voice from the outside and renewing our thoughts. And parents, you're raising children, and and you see a commercial on television, you hear a message from the public, and, and you need to deconstruct it. You need to go, you know, this is trying to tell you that expressive individualism is the way to live your life, that you find your deepest desire. But let me tell you, as believers in Jesus, we define ourselves by the voice of God. We don't look for some deepest desire and figure out what that is. No, we allow the voice of God, the voice from the outside to come and define us. It's a beautiful thing. And let me tell you what the voice of God says and the confidence and assurance and peace and grace it can give you. If you were writing a letter to somebody, you remember, or how about an email or a text? How would you refer to yourself, right? How, how would you talk about yourself? Me, myself, and I, we, you know, the royal we. I'm not talking about pronouns, but I could be. You know, John... In the gospel of John, every time he referred to himself, he called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. What would that be? Like, what would that do for you if you're writing a letter and you're like, oh, and then uh, the disciple who Jesus loved? Like, what did his psyche have down deep inside? I'm the one that Jesus loves. Man, that doesn't come from here. It comes from the voice that says over you what the voice said over Jesus, my beloved child. I'll tell you, you get that down. It's an anchor for your soul. You don't care if the world is saying something different because you've got the applause of the one who matters the most. You're the one who Jesus loves the scripture goes on and says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I had to ask myself, what did they believe? Like we know about Jesus' death and resurrection, but what was the gospel for them? I think it was that the king has come. This is the son of God. This is the king has come. They didn't believe it. They need to change their thinking about who Jesus is. But you got to read the whole whole gospel of Mark to get the whole gospel. Because the first like seven chapters are all about Jesus's miracles and healing, like proving he's the son of God. Then in chapter eight, he looks at his disciples and goes, who do you say that I am? That's like the turning point in the gospel. And then the rest of the gospel is him walking to the cross. Because once they believe this is the Messiah, all of a sudden, they're like, wait, Messiahs don't die. They conquer. They kick Roman Heine, right? Get them out of here. No, and so so I, the, they had a gospel to believe. But I think, you know, in our day, many times, we get confused about the gospel. Because the gospel literally means good news, right? Good news. And we, many times, and all other religions, they give you good advice, Right? Uh, if you, if you're drowning, okay, so we're on vacation and my dog, um, was by the pool and my dog will jump all four feet up in the air at squirrels and stuff. I don't know. Just wants to get closer. And we had like a, a screen over the pool, you know, those like Florida screen pool. And there was this lizard up there really like a big one. And she, like a squirrel, she's just barking and jumping up and down. And one of the jumps, she went a little backwards, and it ended in the pool. (laughs) And you know what? She could swim. She can swim, right? You know, if you were drowning, and I'm like, all right, let me... I was a swimming instructor. Okay, let me tell you. I'm going to teach you the crawl, right? So I want you to put your... Turn your head and, and, you know, flutter kick, right? That would be advice. And what would you do? Die, right? (laughs) Right? You 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 don't need advice when you're drowning. You need a savior to come and rescue you, right? You know, if you went over to the Ukraine and you're like, "Okay, let me teach you how to fire a gun," that's advice. But if you said, "The war's done. Russia's laid down their arms. You can lay down their arms," that's good news. Right? And, and this section before the gospel, before uh, what I read early on. Um, In Isaiah, you see good news. Isaiah 40 begins, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her what warfare's ended. God is not mad at you. He loves you so much. You're so sinful he had to die and you're so loved he chose to die. Your iniquities have been removed. The check has been written and when you say I believe, you cash it and your sins are forgiven. That's, that's news. Scripture goes on and says, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he came to Simon and Andrew, the brothers uh, of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also uh, in the boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat. You know what I love, Peter, with the hired servants? He didn't, like, lose all the people. Like, Dad, sorry, you're going to be out of a job, right? With his hired servants, and he went and he followed him. This is the call. This is a call that Jesus does on all our lives. Come and follow me. And our hearts say, yes, I'll follow you. But... Do you ever think about they had no idea what they were getting into? Right? Some people got married and they're like, I had no idea what I was getting into, right? Right? You have kids and they're small and you're like, oh, I'm not getting any sleep. And they turn teenagers and you're like, give me the baby back, right? You know? Like, like, so you, you don't know what you're getting into. I, I remember um, years ago when Hannah was very young. And Gretchen was talking to her about, someday, you're going to be a mommy, too, you know, Lord willing, and um, you'll get married, and, and uh, Hannah's like, yeah, and uh, Gretchen says, and you'll, you'll have your own house, and she starts crying. <laughs> I, I'm not going to live with you, right? Right? And Gretchen's like, no, but in her little mind, she couldn't conceive a world where she didn't live at home. And I think many times that's what following Jesus is like. You know, we're like, I don't get it, Lord, I, 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 but I, I'll follow you now and I'll trust you with the future I started rereading Tim Keller's book on the Gospel of Mark called King's Cross. I think they republished it under a different title. But in there, he talks about a book, a children's book, that was written 150 years ago by George MacDonald. And uh, if you read it, it's probably for adults now, right? But uh, he has this story in there about this little girl who meets her fairy grandmother in the attic. And it's this thing where there are goblins like trying to get her. And the fairy grandmother says, here's a ring. And attached to this ring is a thread. And when you're afraid, put the ring under your pillow and I'll hold the ball of the thread and it will always lead to me. And so one day... She's in her house, and she hears the goblins coming, and she takes the ring off, and she puts it under her pillow, and it starts leading her, but it didn't lead her where she thought it should lead her. It led her out of the house and into a cave, and it led her right up to this stone wall, and the thread went through the stone wall, and she starts crying. She said, what do I do I think the ogres live in there, the goblins or whatever they're called, and, and she then stops crying and she starts tearing at the stones, and her fingers are bleeding, and she's getting the stones, and finally she gets it out and breaks a hole in the wall, and her friend is in there who had been captured, and her grandmother had led her through there, and then she thought, well, maybe I'll go back, but the thread didn't go that way. It only goes forward. And her friend says, aren't you leaving? And she goes, no, my thread goes forward deeper into the cave. And that's how it is with our relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. I'm going to take you on a journey. And I don't want you to turn to the right or the left. I, don't, I want you to put me first. I want you to keep trusting me, to stick with me, not to turn back, not to give up. Turn to me in all the disappointments and injustices that will happen to you. I'm going to take you places that will make you say, why in the world are you taking me there? And even then, I want you to trust me. When he called James and John to leave their father in the boat, Jesus had already left the father's throne. And later, Jesus is gonna be ripped from the father's presence on the cross. He's gonna look as if the thread he is taking you into dead-end places, places where you're going to get bloody, where the only way to follow the thread looks like it could crush you. Jesus Christ, kingship, will not crush you. He was crushed for you. He followed his thread to the cross so you and I can follow our thread to his arms. Is that not beautiful? So he got crushed, so that we can follow him into his arms. We don't know where this road takes us in following him. The disciples didn't either. And it doesn't lead always in the way we want to go, but it always leads back to him. Well, it continues and says, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Can I say, if anybody doesn't need to pray, it's God incarnate right? And Simon and his companions had to search for him, and they found him, and says, everyone's looking for you. Yeah, because you're healing people, and you're delivering and casting out demons, and Jesus is spending time with the Father. Like, he's nurturing this beautiful relationship. So, we went on the hike, the Bible and hike, and here's the motley crew, minus me. And, um, And, you know, we saw some beautiful scenery. Like, had, it been, had that been a clear day, it would have been even more beautiful, right? Like, we, we're having lunch up there. I mean, it's just some kind of goosebumps you get as you're sitting out there. And look at the clouds causing the shade, you know. And you're not in a plane. And it's just this, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, we walked, see the, the small group people? We're walking that ridge, We're walking the the mountain. It's it's beautiful. But to get there, this was a waterfall we had to climb. There were many difficult parts of this. But the only way to get the beautiful views is to go through the difficulty. And somehow, I want to think that I can have this vibrant relationship with Jesus without effort. You know what I'm talking about, right? Here the son of God is losing sleep to spend time with his father. He's going to a deserted place. And we think, you ever try to set aside time for God and, and you're like, well, I got to check my phone, right? I got to do this. I read this article about Jesus allergies, you know, taking Jesus seriously. I have a Jesus allergy because when I want to do good, my phone is right there to distract me. Right? Or emails or whatever. To, like, like it's like you set aside, I'm going to spend time with you, Lord, and it takes so long to, like, focus your brain or to do, like, is it just me? And and I think if we're going to have, like, vibrant relationships with Jesus, if we're going to get the mountaintop experiences, we're going to have to put the effort in to get there. You know, some people want to have great marriages, and I'm like, well, how much effort do you put into it? Right? A lot of times, it's like you put all the work into getting together, and then, you, you, you drop all the effort. At, no, no, that's not how it works in relationships. That's not how it works in our relationship with Jesus. So, um, so see that the funny face guy right there with the, the blue thing there? He's going to hate me for this. Sorry, Tammy, you didn't have any good faces in any of these pictures I took. I'm sorry. So that's Rick, who's sitting right there. So we're going to bring uh, Rick on part-time to help us with our men's discipleship and our groups. And, you know, getting, like, like are you in a Bible study? Are you doing anything to encourage your relationship with, with Jesus? Like, if you want the mountaintops, it's going to take, you know, community and effort and getting out of your comfort zone and and getting in, involved. Like, there's some, there's an effort that it will take on your part, but there are the beautiful vistas and peaks that you'll see if you put in that effort. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I would ask that we could cooperate with this taste of heaven inside of us, this salvation that you've already begun. Lord, as we just kind of rest in the knowledge of your presence as we uh, stand here, Forgive us for so many other ways that we have uh, put efforts in for for things that don't fully satisfy. And Lord, I pray that you would um, just, you fish for us, Lord, and draw us unto you. And we'll say thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.